This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. The North American Car of the Year jury has announced its finalists and we'll have them for you. And if you have problems connecting your phone to your car, you are not alone. We'll have the J.D. Power survey data for you, so stay with us for that. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris is based at one end of the country. I am at the other one, and one thing we have in common is testing cars. Chris, so great to talk to you again. I hope things are going well for you. Things are going well, Jack. And one thing I can say that we don't have in common is the temperature where I can say here in Maine, it's probably about half of what it is in your neck of the woods, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, it's a little cooler here. We get some somewhat of a winter uh, where I live. Uh, not the winter that you have in Maine, certainly, but uh, a little cooler. But uh, we've noticed that. It was misty this morning when I walked the dog. So that's going on. Another thing we have going on is a great guest. Our special guest is Cooper Erickson. He is the Group Vice President of Product Planning and Strategy for Toyota here in North America. Really interesting guy. We had a chance to sit down with him uh, just a day or so ago at the all-new, and talk about a bit about the all-new battery electric Toyota BZ4X, their new compact crossover just announced. And we also talked with him about Toyota's plans for electrification going forward. It is fascinating stuff because it isn't the pablum that some other manufacturers are putting out there. So uh, stay with us for that. In the road test segment, Chris, what are you going to be talking about? I spent a week with the Ford Broncos, the first edition trim. So very excited to talk about that. Yeah, we've got some all new cars that are quite interesting to talk about. Uh, I spent uh, the better part of a week with the Hyundai Santa Cruz compact pickup truck. It might be a new nameplate to a lot of people, but... Uh, I had a chance to drive that at some length. So uh, we've got some all new vehicles that are quite exciting. Uh, contenders for various North American Car of the Year awards, uh, which is also exciting. So uh, we'll have that for you. And when we come back, we will have those North American Car of the Year finalists just announced. I happen to be on the jury, so I had a hotline to that information. Uh, so stay with us for that with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nered with you. And we thank you so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague. Jackie, right back with you, and we're so glad you're with us. We really do appreciate you listening to America on the Road. We have some, I think, very fascinating news for you because we have the North American Car of the Year, Truck of the Year, and Utility of the Year finalists. They've just been announced, and uh, we have all that information for you. And uh, well, Why don't I dive right in? Uh, I'm on the North American Car of the Year jury. As a matter of fact, I'm vice president of the organization, uh, this year, so I'm excited about these awards. Let's dive into the North American Utility Vehicle of the Year Awards because uh, one of the vehicles on this list will be tested in this show. It is the Ford Bronco, and Chris Teague, you were driving that this week, so that's a, an interesting addition to the list of uh, finalists. The Genesis GV70 is another vehicle that we have tested recently, I think maybe in last week's show. Uh, or certainly within the last month, we have tested the Genesis GV70. And then there is the all-electric Hyundai Ioniq 5. 
So that's the uh, list of the three utility vehicles of the year. What's your take on that, Chris? I think it's interesting. So first of all, from both the the Bronco and, and the other perspectives, is like new vehicles that hit the market, and they're able to, to hit the market with such uh, composure. They're they're a fully formed product when they land. Uh, they do their job great. They do what they're advertised to do. Uh, so it's an exciting time for new vehicles. Uh, you know, I think that we're as we move towards electrification, even sort of the last gasps of internal combustion engines, that's going to be an exciting time to watch. Well, it's interesting you say that, Chris, and I think you'll be interested in, in hearing the interview we did with uh, Cooper Erickson about the electrification and whether it is indeed the last gasp of internal combustion engines, because I think that's going to happen well after I breathe my last gasp, but uh, that is my take <laughs> on that. Uh, let's go back to the North American Truck of the Year finalists. They are the Ford Maverick, their new compact truck. Another vehicle tested in this show, the Hyundai Santa Cruz, another compact uh, pickup truck. We hadn't had any of those in years and years and years. Now we have two, and they're both finalists for North American Truck of the Year. And then an all-electric vehicle, the Rivian R1T. I'm curious about your reaction to these three vehicles, Chris. Well, it's not surprising that compact and smaller trucks are coming back. I mean, full-size and mid-size pickups are among the most popular vehicles here. Uh, again, you know, I, I will say that it's it's surprising and it's encouraging to see how nice the products are that have hit the market. The Rivian is especially interesting to me. I haven't driven one yet. I don't know if you have. I know a lot of people, I have. Uh, journalists, have had, have had the opportunity yeah. to drive one. Um, but man, what a what a compelling product it is just out of the gate. So, um, you know, I know that you guys are looking at this year or what's coming up for 2022, but it'll be an exciting, it'll be exciting to see what Rivian does going forward. It's interesting that you say it's a compelling product because I think in a lot of ways it is. And at the same time, I kind of scratch my head and go, who is the buyer for this truck? Who is the buyer for the 70, 80, maybe over $100,000 uh, midsize pickup truck uh, that doesn't look all that pickup truck like? It's not particularly macho, for example. Uh, I think it's a different buyer. We'll, we'll have to see. But uh, that's going forward. Let me give you the... Uh, the finalists for North American Car of the Year, they are the Honda Civic, the all-new Honda Civic we have tested for 2022. The Volkswagen Golf, the Golf R and Golf GTI, essentially as an entry. Really fun to drive vehicles that I had a chance to drive recently. And then another fascinating vehicle from a startup company, the Lucid Air Luxury All-Electric Sedan. What do you think, Chris? Uh, that's a that's a broad cross section of vehicles. Uh, that's what I will say. Um, the the air specifically. I mean, just the range numbers are insane. But you you brought up the price in the last segment on on Rivian. I think that's going to be a big question mark for me going forward. Uh, and you know, they're kind of a small volume operation. Hopefully, they grow. Uh, the Honda Civic is excellent for 2022, so no complaints there. But uh, and it's interesting to see where the the committee landed on these. Um, but I'll be excited to find out who the, the actual car ends up being. Yeah, I will too. I'm a, a, one of only 50 voters. We never know until they are announced. Uh, so it will be fascinating. But here you have two very conventional cars, the Honda Civic and the Volkswagen Golf, uh, about as conventional and mainstream as you can get. And then a car that's off in the stratosphere somewhere, the Lucid Air from a startup company, a fascinating tech. I had a chance to 
drive one it's at a great length recently as they uh, sold their first vehicles to consumers uh, so I had a chance to do that so a fascinating bunch of stuff well there's something else we promised you in the news so let's get to that and that is um, the uh, JD Power multimedia quality and satisfaction study and I'll tell you what it found is people who have wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto um, they have a lot of problems with that so if you're <laughs> you're having difficulty connecting up uh, your wireless Apple CarPlay or Android Auto um, you are certainly not alone in that and I think that's something both you and I have experienced isn't it Chris Yes, I agree. And, you know, you've heard me pull the old man, get off my porch routine a bunch of times here with wireless Apple CarPlay. The interesting thing is, and the JD Power study notes this, is that consumers are asking for these features. Consumers are not going to say demanding. People are probably not that mean about it. But uh, the people want these features, then they get the features, and then quickly discover that, A, they either don't think it worked like they thought it would be, or B, it doesn't work at all or period for them. Uh, so then they they have these issues that the JD Power measures in uh, per 100 cars. So uh, the cars that are able to pull it off and get good scores in the study are the ones that uh, A, either have a more intuitive interface so their phones are able to work more uh, easily with these systems wirelessly, or B, they have a more informed dealer network and the people who are selling the cars are taking the time uh, to educate the consumers when they buy. And so I think that is showing a clear payoff on the other side of the transaction with satisfaction for the buyers. So, you know, hopefully it gets smoother, but also I think, you know, that People could be asking more questions at the dealership, and the dealer could be more proactive uh, with the with the education they're providing. Yeah, one of the things that's troubling to me, Chris, and I don't know whether you've experienced this or not, is it, it's like intermittent problems where you have the vehicle and uh, the phone connect and everything seems fine, and then suddenly you're disconnected and you can't reconnect. And that could happen either wirelessly or even with a wired connection. And there's just a lot of things that can go wrong there. And people, of course, depend on their phones. That is the, the piece of con consumer equipment that everybody seems to absolutely depend on as their lifeline. Uh, what's been your experience with that? That has been my experience. It's not a consistent technology yet, and this is not a single automaker's problem. You know, I've we've tested these features, and uh, I've tested them in Fords and Hondas and Hyundais, and you know, they all express some, or they all show some difficulty and, and inconsistency in connection, right? You want to get in the car and drive off and have your phone connect immediately and not have to go through the, the pairing phase and all that. And that just doesn't happen yet. So uh, we're a ways off from a, a smooth user experience, I believe. Yeah, absolutely true. Here are some of the top performing vehicles according to this J.D. Power study. In the midsize and large car class, the Nissan Maxima. I think I've had pretty good luck with the uh, all the infotainment systems and the, the connectivity in the Nissan Maxima. In the midsize large premium category, the Cadillac Escalade, they really hang their hat on their new infotainment system. And the Chevrolet Corvette, interestingly enough. Um, in the small compact uh, area, the Nissan Sentra, this is for the second consecutive year, and it also kind of points out maybe Nissan is doing a very good job in terms of connectivity. And then on the uh, small compact premium side, the BMW 4 Series, a very special specialty car. Do you have any comments about that, Chris? Well, I'm interested in the BMW 4 Series specifically. We talked about this uh, a couple of months ago on the show where um, I had a 4 Series convertible 
the wireless Apple CarPlay was a little spotty. Of course, you can opt for wired Apple CarPlay. So it's interesting for me to hear that. Cadillac, I think, is an impressive result because of the sheer amount of technology they packed into the Escalade. Those giant screens, there's some night vision thrown in there. There's some augmented reality thrown in there. Uh, so for them to have pulled off such a good score, I think really says something about the thought that they put into uh, the interface design. So good for them. Absolutely. And uh, it's difficult. So, you know, there's a lot of whining about this, but uh, I think there's whining because there is some difficulty in making this stuff work and making it work with everybody's phones, including the ancient iPhone that I have. I don't even remember what iteration of iPhone I have. And I know you're a tech guy, so you probably have stuff that's uh, more recent than what I have. But uh, when we come back, we will be doing some road testing. And we love that. These are both North American Car of the Year uh, and Truck of the Year nominees, the Ford Bronco and the Hyundai Santa Cruz. So stay with us for that with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nerad with you. And we're so glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nerad with you. And it is road test time. And not only do we have road test vehicles, we have very prominent road test vehicles for you uh, this week. They are both nominees in the North American Car, Truck, and Utility of the Year competition. The winners in that competition will be announced in January. But Chris, you were testing the Ford Bronco, a vehicle we've talked about on the show a lot, I guess. Tell us a bit about it. Yeah, I finally got some uh, wheel time with the Ford Bronco. I'm very, very excited about this. This is the larger of the two vehicles that Ford released, the Bronco Sport being the smaller uh, crossover SUV. Uh, I tested the first edition model, which sold out pretty quickly after Ford's announcement when they opened the order bank. So you can no longer uh, buy or order, I should say, a new first edition. Uh, you could try your luck at a dealership and may find uh, some markups there. Uh, however, this vehicle has uh, the upgraded twin turbocharged V6 engine. It's a 2.7 liter unit. Uh, I think it makes around 310 horsepower, 400 pound feet of torque. Uh, the standard engine is a four-cylinder. It's a 2.3-liter turbocharged engine, uh, around 270 horsepower. And uh, so I tested it with a 10-speed automatic transmission. There's a seven-speed manual offered here. And one thing, Jack, I want to get your your feelings about. I'm testing a two-door Bronco. I don't know if you've driven both the two and the four. I would love to have been able to try the four back-to-back here. Uh, but what are your thoughts on sort of everyday livability with a two-door or a four-door Bronco? Well, I bet you're going to tell us a bit about the livability with the two-door. Uh, and uh, so I, I won't, uh, you know, kind of pimp that a little bit, but uh, I'll let you talk a bit about that. I think the four-door, in my mind, is much more practical than the two-door. On the other hand, the two-door is very true to what the Ford Bronco used to be. So I guess you, you choose which one you like, and uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, well, I was actually firm in four-door camp with the Bronco. You know, my wife and I talked about buying one a few times just to have a kind of an open-top vehicle that we could drive year-round if we needed to. Uh, but now after driving the two-door for uh, tomorrow, we'll make a, a full week. I've been able to get the kids in and out just fine. Obviously, it's not as uh, convenient for them to climb from behind the front, the around the front seats, I should say, and then hop out. But uh, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. And I think that the off-road capability of the two-door may be more compelling for people buying the Bronco, especially if they're going to use it as it as it is intended to be used, right? So off-road. But one thing I will say is, you know, the thing that really has impressed me about the Bronco is its on-road manners. Uh, people talk about how 
the, the Jeep Wrangler can feel a little bit jittery at times over broken pavement and, and whatnot. And I think a lot of this is due to the, the Bronco's large tires on this package, uh, the first edition package. But the suspension, the independent rear suspension is doing a great job at keeping the vehicle planted, making it feel predictable and confident on the road. Uh, so if you had to live with a Bronco as your only vehicle, which you know a lot of people couldn't afford to buy that, plus a weekend fun vehicle, uh, you could do so without a huge, a huge trade-off in, in comfort. Inside this, the vehicle has uh, it's Ford calls it Active X. It's not quite leather. It's not quite uh, vinyl. So it's a very easily cleanable fabric on the upholstery. Uh, the first edition trim comes with the upgraded 12-inch touchscreen. However, there's an 8-inch that is standard. So both units run Ford's Sync 4 infotainment system. Uh, this is going to support over-the-air updates so that you can improve the vehicle's electronics, add new features, and update things like the maps over time without having to go back to the dealership every time. Uh, and then the back seat comfort level, you know, we talked about having kids in a two-door Bronco. Uh, they sit up high. They can see out the front, so they love that. The side windows on the two-door Bronco are, are up far enough that they can see the road around them. So for kids in the back seat, I think that's a great perspective. They love it. They, they have a lot of fun. It is a little bit smaller than I would like to have for a family vehicle, but like I said, definitely manageable. I think where you might find the biggest fall down or downfall rather with a two-door is in cargo space where the four-door has a, a larger cargo hold in the back. Uh, but all around, you know, I think that for such a great, uh, for such a first-year effort, it's a great, great product. Uh, I think, you know, Jeep should be nervous, and they probably have been for quite some time. But the Bronco does so well on road that I couldn't imagine feeling like you're missing out by buying a two-door or the four-door because you're going to have a great experience all the way around. I do think it's a great experience, and I'm, I was uh, fascinated to hear you talk a bit about the back seat because my experience with the back seat there, and I was doing photography in, uh, in the back seat, climbed into the back seat. Of course, I'm testing the back seat, but I was also taking pictures of the dash and doing this and that. And it seemed a bit claustrophobic back there to me. Of course, I'm a five foot eleven inch adult, not quite the six foot tall that you are, Chris, but uh, right up there. And it seemed a little tight, and also. Kind of a little dark. So the fact that uh, your kids liked it back there, I think that's a, a breath of fresh air. That's that's good news. I think the ride height and the seat height, too, help them out. They love being able to see out the front of the vehicle. I think that's a big thing for them. But they're also not 5'11 or 6 feet tall. So, uh, you know, adults may feel differently. Yeah. Well, you have them in booster seats, as you should. And that's the safe way to, to travel with kids in the back seat in boosters when they're that that size and shape and uh, and that poundage. So uh, that's a great thing. Well, I was driving a, an all-new vehicle and essentially an all-new vehicle type. It is the five-passenger compact pickup truck, the Hyundai Santa Cruz, 2022 model Hyundai Santa Cruz, not to be confused with the Hyundai Santa Fe. And it's hard to mention this vehicle without mentioning the Ford Maverick, which is essentially playing in the same sandbox, although the vehicles actually are, are quite different. I would say the Santa Cruz is a pony of a different color. It could be viewed as a compact sport utility with an open bed uh, instead of having the typical cargo compartment like you would have in the Ford Bronco we just talked about, a covered cargo compartment. I would also say in the turbocharged form, that's the uh, up-level engine form, it's kind of like a sports sedan that has this pickup truck bed attached to it. It's, it's really fun to drive. I was really surprised by that. Uh, in terms of styling, it borrows themes from crossovers, pickup trucks, and sports sedans. And the open bed is great. It also has 
a factory installed tonneau cover that's available. It goes over the bed. It, it slides kind of like a big window shade would slide. And that's a good thing, having that covered lockable storage. Almost watertight, not quite. The big difference, I think, between these small pickup trucks that have just been introduced and the small pickup trucks we saw in the 70s and 80s, when Chris was a child or maybe not even around, was uh, these are five passenger vehicles. They're not just two passenger vehicles, uh, little tiny things, but uh, they can hold five passengers in real seats. And the Santa Cruz has an interior that is almost identical to the Hyundai Tucson crossover utility. And by that, I think it's a very good thing. It's about 1.5 cubic feet larger than the Mavericks, according to EPA measurements. So that's good. And it has a uh, 60-40 flip-up rear seat. So that provides additional storage space. Good infotainment, 10.25-inch infotainment touchscreen uh, is the up-level version. 8-inch screen um, is, the, is the standard touchscreen, and it has all the requisite Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, etc., etc. Wire, wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto are offered with the 8-inch screen, but not with the 10.25-inch screen. A little weird anomaly in Hyundai vehicles right now. Power comes from a 2.5-liter, 191-horsepower four-cylinder engine. That's the base engine. It drives either the front or all four wheels through an eight-speed conventional automatic transmission. And then the up-level engine is a turbocharged 2.5-liter four-cylinder that offers 281 horsepower. It has an eight-speed wet dual-clutch transmission with manual shift capabilities. Chris, I should let you wait in on Santa Cruz. What are your thoughts about this vehicle? You know, it's kind of funny. You and I were on the launch of the uh, Santa Cruz together. I think I, I used to laugh at Hyundai for the, the branding that they stuck behind it. You know, I think it's they, they, they steered way far away from calling it a pickup truck. But now that, you know, we drove it and spent some time with it, I can see that they did. They, they cleverly walked the line. So it definitely feels like you say as a car or a sports sedan, but it has that open bed and they've added some unique uh, notching and other things for customers to add their own racks and different gear storage solutions. And I think it's been great the, the way it's packaged, you know, the sliding tonneau cover, uh, which is a great thing for people who carry things that need to be locked up in their bed. And at the same time, you can throw your family in the front and go on a road trip and you don't feel like you're missing out. You're not in a pickup truck. Uh, you're not even in like a rugged utility vehicle. You're in something that feels much more like a car. So um, I haven't driven the Maverick yet, but it'll be interesting to see you know, how these two progress over time. If Ford or Hyundai decides, you know, maybe we need to add more capability and they lose some of the comfort or whether they go more heavily towards the comfort side and cut some capability. But for now, I think they've hit a good balance and I can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Santa Cruz uh, really kind of does it all in a lot of ways. It'll, in turbocharged form, it'll go from zero to 60 in about 7.5 seconds. That's not a rocket ship, but it sure is fun to drive, and the handling is terrific. And in terms of uh, cargo space, and this I, I found kind of interesting, and towing, the uh, Santa Cruz actually tows more than the Maverick does. Although the Maverick is pitched as full-on truck, this is a truck truck. Uh, we talked to uh, their product planner, planner and a, a chief engineer uh, about the vehicle a couple uh, episodes ago, and they're all, all all about truck all the time. Santa Cruz, not so much. Sports uh, excitement vehicle or uh, something like that is what they call it, but it also has pretty good capability, and it can, can tow up to 5,000 pounds, which is significantly more than uh, the Maverick in tow. So I found that fascinating. Yeah. And if you, I don't know if you heard the story, but when Ford 
Ford or, or Ford order holders for the Maverick uh, had originally equipped their hybrid trucks with the 4K towing package, which uh, was walked back after a while. So now that you can only get the 4,000 pound towing uh, with the full gas uh, powertrain, which is the upgraded option. So uh, be interesting to see, but good on Hyundai for, for such strong capability. Right. A little talk about pricing. It starts uh, much more expensive, frankly, than the Maverick does at, at about $24,000. And then if you went all the way up to the uh, top level trim, you could have a Santa Cruz that cost you $40,000. So uh, not inconsequential uh, kind of pricing there. And again, I think pricier than the Ford Maverick, but in a lot of ways, a very different vehicle. And I think it's a, a fascinating addition to the whole automotive scene. So I'm, I'm glad to see that. We had, I think, two new vehicles on this show, the Ford Bronco and the Hyundai Santa Cruz that uh, are among uh, the value leaders out there uh, in this new wave of cars we're seeing. I totally agree. And when we come back, we will be speaking with Cooper Erickson. He is the chief product planner, he's the vice president at Toyota in North America, about the new all-electric vehicle, the BZ4X compact crossover uh, that Toyota has just introduced. And we're going to be talking a bit about electrification going forward as well, much beyond that particular vehicle. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us on America on the Road. Stay with us for more of America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Newrad with you, and very exciting day here in Encinitas, California. And what a guest we have for you! Cooper Erickson is head of product for a Toyota. So many things to talk about here. You've introduced a car and a battery electric vehicle. That's an important step for Toyota. Let's let's start with that. But there's a lot of things I want to dive into. Number one, thanks for being with us, Cooper. Tell Thank us you. a bit about the car you've introduced here. Yeah, we just introduced uh, the BZ4X. Uh, which is a uh, small SUV segment uh, EV product. Um, it's actually the third EV that we've launched. You know, we've had, uh, m- many people don't realize this, but with our first generation uh, RAV4 1997, we had an EV, and then 2012, we had another RAV4 EV. So we've, we've learned and grown with those experiences, and, and we're super excited about this product. It's got you know, typical SUV functionality, um, you know, range is going to be very competitive, you know, mid-200s. Mid it's going to be front-wheel drive, all-wheel drive, you know, our, our latest state-of-the-art multimedia and safety technology. Um, and it's, it's really the first of what will be many to come, you know, into the future, uh, EVs. And the BZ brand in and of itself is a new global brand, and it's beyond zero. BZ is, you know, beyond zero which is an idea that it's more than just zero emissions in the vehicle. It's the ownership experience and, and the lifestyle. And then the 4X um, is, the four is the size of the vehicle. So globally, there might be a five or a three and it'll be bigger or smaller, you know. And the X is a crossover. So there could be a sedan that wouldn't have the X, the X is crossover. So so that's the uh, A the lot quick of story. nomenclature to figure out. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, it yeah. is. I. I I feel we maybe overcomplicated the BZ4X uh, naming, but it, it makes sense when you learn it about it. It makes sense globally, I'm sure, and I'm, I'm sure it makes sense to engineering types who have a hand in this, right? It strikes me that you're well positioned to do this vehicle, having done the previous RAV4 battery electrics, learned a lot, gone out of the market with those. L- the leader in a crossover SUV is certainly the RAV4, one of the most popular vehicles, the most popular other than trucks. How does that set you up for success with the BZ4X? Yeah, well, 
you're right. Uh, if there's a segment we're going to go into first, it makes a lot of sense to be in this small SUV segment. The RAV4 has had so much success. We have a lot of customers coming in looking for that type of a vehicle. It's a huge segment in the U.S. market. So it makes sense to have a vehicle that competes um, in that segment. And, you know, the broader story of electrification, um, you know, we've been moving really fast. Uh, you know, we've been doing hybrids for 20 years. But the last couple of years, the, the acceptance and demand for hybrid has really increased. And we've seen that with RAV4. Uh, both with the prime plug-in hybrid and the regular hybrid, our volume has gone up a lot and we, we can't keep up with demand. So another electrified option within that, that competitive set we think is going to be really beneficial to us and, and meet the customer's needs, which is the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what Toyota has done forever and ever, and it seems to work, doesn't it? Let's talk a bit about hybrids. You were an environmental leader, you being Toyota. Absolutely, the, the golden child of environmentalism, the greenest uh, corporation out there. And now it seems like there is an element that is not seeing hybrids as being part of the solution, but actually being part of the problem. Talk about that, would you, and I, I think you breathed some fresh air into this on this whole issue, because there's other ways to skin the cat, aren't there? So yeah, well, it's a really intriguing time to be in the automobile business. And Toyota has been pretty consistent for decades in our ambition to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. You know, we were, we were investing in hydrogen and hybrid when gas was a dollar a gallon and people weren't talking about this stuff. You know, we, we've, we've, been, we've been passionate about this and frankly, things have changed recently. And it's, it's more top of mind for consumers. It's more top of mind for investors, for OEMs. And so there's more attention being paid to it. But one of the things we've been so consistent with is we don't really go out and give specifics about our plans that are five and 10 and you know, years down the road. We focus on what we have today to sell to our consumers. And behind the scenes, we're doing a tremendous amount of research and development, trying to figure out the best path to take. But recently, OEMs have been really aggressive in making claims about 2030 and 2035. And they're doing it for whatever purpose that serves them. That's great. Not, not Maybe they're doing an IPO, it. for example. Well, <laughs> who knows? I'm not going to get into why. The bottom line is that's not something we do. So I think, unfortunately, there's a perception with some that because we're not talking about these things way off into the future, that we're actually not, consi we're not looking at ourselves as part of the solution and working really is hard and fast. Is there the perception, too, that anything that uses combustion is bad, that any CO2 released into the atmosphere is bad, and thus a hybrid is releasing CO2 when it's using its ICE, its internal combustion engine? Yeah. What, I, what's I, your take on all that? Recently, I heard an expression, um, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And the reality is our hybrid technology has done more for the environment than all EVs ever sold in the history of our country and the world combined. You know, we've sold over 18 million hybrids and that greenhouse gas benefit is equal to about five and a half million EV sales. So forget about EV or hybrid, we have done for the environment the equivalent of 5.5 million EV sales. And that's super important because 
batteries don't grow on trees. It requires a lot of effort and, and frankly, environmental impact to create a battery. So if we would have turned those 18 million hybrids into EVs for the, the same battery resources, you can only build 260,000 EVs. So for the price of 260,000 EVs, we impacted the environment the same as 5.5 million EVs. The bottom line is customers have to buy things in volume for it to have an impact on the environment. You can build a shiny project uh, that sits in the corner that you only sell a few of. And make big claims. And, and make big, it has no impact on the real environment. Giving people an affordable alternative to a gas guzzling vehicle that's a hybrid that they can actually pay for and use for a long time, that's a real benefit of the environment. So we're proud of our record and it's too bad that people don't view us like that anymore. But things ebb and flow. And I, I'm sure as we introduce products like this and we continue to introduce other products down the road, I think people will come around and understand what we've been doing behind the scenes and they'll appreciate it. Well, you've talked a bit about four pillars, four different kind of powertrain choices that are all green choices. They're just a variety of green, right? And, and offering that portfolio as opposed to a one-trick pony solution. Talk a bit about that. Let our listeners know what you were saying about that. Yeah, so um, again, you have to create something that is widely used in order for it to have an impact on the environment. So right now, that's a hybrid for us. Dramatic reduction in greenhouse gas, improvement in fuel economy, and the value now over four generations of building hybrids, we've gotten the cost and the price and the performance to a point where customers can really afford it. But then we have people that want to drive EVs more. So we have a plug-in hybrid. And the plug-in hybrid, you know, maybe you get 30, 40 miles on EV only, which satisfies the commuting of pretty much every customer. I mean, the average commuting is, you know, 20, 30 miles so a day. So a lot of people in their daily life almost never go to the gas yeah. station, only need to go to the gas station so maybe occasionally. the plug-in hybrid is beautiful because it allows somebody to run most of their errands and live their life on EV only, but yet when it's time to go on the summer vacation or tow the boat or, you know, take a trip with the kids to see the grandparents, you can get on the road and there's no compromise. You fill it up, you go 600 miles on a tank of gas and no problem. So, so hybrid has a role, plug-in hybrid has a role, but EV also has a role that we're getting into now. Um, you know, EV is great for commuting, short distances, um, maybe not so good for a cross-country, you know, road trip. And then, and it, by this, we're talking about battery electrics. Battery electrics, yeah, yeah, battery electrics. Right. Um, you know, the infrastructure can be challenging, but that's going to be improving. But the bottom line is, it takes a long time to charge a battery. And you know, best case, if you find the DC, you know, it's thirty minutes to an hour. But the average time is closer to 10 hours, you know, if you plug it into a, a level two. Right. Um, and then as weight increases, like hauling things, the battery has to get bigger. And batteries are really, really heavy. So it's this diminishing returns. The battery has to get bigger to haul the weight. And then the battery has to haul its own weight. And so it doesn't become practical for heavy-duty applications. So that's where hydrogen comes in. It's ultra lightweight, super powerful. It is electric. It's an electric battery that happens to use hydrogen for an energy source. There's no combustion, um, zero emissions. Um, and that's ideal for heavy-duty truck applications because of its capability to run 24 hours a day. Uh, so 
again, it's a, it's a portfolio approach. They each have their needs. There is no one solution for every customer. So we have to keep our options open and respond to customer demand as those individual markets expand. Yeah, and as the BZ comes into the market, you're going to have an example in the marketplace of each of those technologies. And here, here's a, a key question, I think. How concerned are you about government prescribing a single solution? Well, that's a great question. The reality is the massive investment needed to achieve a carbon neutrality future is i mean you can't get get around the fact this is a massive investment for everybody we're all going to pay for this now there's a benefit to us paying for it Um, so we're not worried about government supporting it we think government must support it i think where where our opinion lies is that we would want government to support various technologies that have the same result for greenhouse gas reduction. Maybe goals-based as opposed to prescribing a particular technology. Yeah, we, we need the support. Um, you know, even, even supporting one technology is probably better than supporting none, but it would be, it would be our desire to have you know, hydrogen, plug-in hybrid, battery electric vehicles, and even hybrid uh, recognized as, as a benefit. What do you think the landscape is going to look like in five, seven years. There's a lot of talk about 2030, so maybe let's take 2030. What is the mix going to be? What, what's your best prediction about what, what that's going to look like for the average consumer out there? And when they go into the showroom, what are they going to be choosing among? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll give you a couple different timelines. So first of all, if it's hard to predict the future. If we went back two but or three years. that's your job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and that's why we don't make a lot of predictions. If you go back two or three years and ask somebody that same question, the results would be dramatically different than they are today. So, you know, right now there are 20 BEV nameplates on sale in the U.S. Battery electric vehicles. Battery electric vehicles. And we're tracking another 100 that will be in market by around 2025. Now, I think there's only like 250 total nameplates in the industry. So the number of EVs are going to be going up dramatically by 2025. And we are going to learn a lot about how customers respond and the individual segments. But by then, you know, maybe EVs will be between 5 and 10% roughly of the overall. And today they're 2%. You know, it's going up every year. So by, the, by 25, is it going to be 10%? It could be. Could it be higher? Yeah. Um, availability of batteries, and you know, that's a huge deal, the infrastructure and supply chain, which we're learning more and more about you know, these days. And then that number is probably going to be you know, by 2030. You know, there's, been, there's been goals given by government agencies and by other brands to be 50% of the industry. Frankly, we think that's probably going to be a little aggressive, maybe, but that includes plug-in hybrids as well in those aspirations that are given by government agencies. So probably 30% uh, BEV uh, could be the industry. You know, we'll be around that same number. You know, our plan is to be around 20-ish percent uh, battery electric right now, but 80% electrified. So the vast majority of everything we're selling will be a hybrid, a plug-in hybrid, or a battery electric vehicle. When we get to the point where hybrid is a non-issue, that, that might be a, a good state. Well, we've learned a lot about that. When a salesperson doesn't have a non-hybrid to compare to and a customer doesn't have a non-hybrid, the only thing they care about is how does a vehicle perform? Is it going to be reliable? Do I like its looks? 
you know, is it affordable? We've learned with Venza, we've learned with RAV4, we've learned with, with Sienna. You put a competitive product out there, if it's a hybrid, it's actually turning aspirational. People are starting to recognize that, but you know, the Sienna has been a huge success. It's the number one volume uh, minivan in the, in the automotive industry today gobbling up tons of market share and far exceeding our expectations. And hybrid only. It's hybrid only. 100% hybrid is the only way you can get it. We're making our hybrids more and more affordable, and so we're going to be putting them in more products, and that's going to be growing a lot over time. Terrific. Well, Cooper Erickson, thanks so much for being with us of Toyota. We appreciate you sharing your insights. Thanks, Jack. Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Christine Jack Red with you for listener question time as we sum up America on the Road for this week. Chris, I have a question for you, and it's from uh, a guy named Owen. I think it's probably a guy. Owen in Rochester, New York. This is what Owen says. I was thinking about buying a new car, but I remember that a lot of car companies have end-of-year sales. Are we going to see end-of-year sales this year, or should I go ahead and buy a car now? I think you may have a bumpy road if you're waiting on end of year sales. You know, when the pandemic started, automakers started issuing incentives because they believed that people weren't going to be buying vehicles. That turned out to be not as much of a concern. So they drew back on some of those incentives. And they've really kind of been at a minimal level for the past, I don't know, six, eight, 10 months, especially as the uh, microchip shortage rages on and it's hard to produce new vehicles. So uh, there are still deals to be found on leases and and, and loans or, or finance vehicles, but I don't think you're going to be able to find them on the most popular uh, vehicles, nor will you be able to find them on the most popular configurations of vehicles. So if you're flexible on what you want and you can swap around and get a different trim or a different style, uh, then maybe you'll find a good, a good lease deal or a finance deal. But the, the advice from any other time of year stands, if you can wait right now, Wait until things calm down. Yeah, Lexus is probably going to do a, a lot fewer of the big red bows this year. I think that December to remember may be a little slower. <laughs> well, I think that's the end of the show. So, Chris, thanks so much for uh, co-hosting. You always do a marvelous job, and I love sharing this hour with you. It's a lot of fun. You as well, Jack. I'm very grateful for the time here. and very grateful for the listeners that we have. And I will say, if you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you can head to sportsmapradio.com. Find us on the Saturday morning schedule there and download both our original podcast and recording of the radio show, uh, whichever is the flavor that you prefer. Yeah, a lot of good flavors there of America on the Road. So thanks for being with us. Uh, We do appreciate it. And uh, join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new car, a used car, or just want automotive information, go to DrivingToday.com. Yes, that's DrivingToday.com the official automotive website of America on the road, drivingtoday.com.